Podcast Network Asia. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think more than anything, the metrics that matter is not the funding. The metrics that matter is your customers, your ability to become sustainable, to be profitable, your sales, right? If you have no sales, you have no business, right? And your team, right? I think these things, being able to keep them, being able to maintain them, will really make sure that in the long run, you will survive. And, you know, I mean, there is so much to be said about startups getting funding before we got funding. But there's also so much to be said about startups that survive. Right? And I have so much respect for people that survive. To be honest, in, in the pandemic, just to survive is, is a miracle. It's a, it's a gift, right? And you know, I think there's just so much to do, so much to value, right? You know, I want people's mindsets, hopefully, to not just be about the funding, but to be about being sustainable, right? and being good companies. And once again, good evening or good morning, good afternoon from wherever you are listening from all over the world. And welcome back to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. Now, in my RJ Ledesma Podcast, what I do is I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about business, what are their success secrets, and can we hack those success secrets? How have they innovated their businesses during this pandemic? And more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in the new normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please do let me know. Drop me a message. I would love to have them here on the show. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and now, of course, the Bounce Back Network. Before everything else, I just want to ask all of you, being a part of the food and beverage industry with my business, Mercato Central, I'd like to encourage all of you to please support our restaurant businesses. Please do order from them, whether you are right now it's alert level four. So if you are, if you are brave going out to eat there, again, remember they have up to 30% alfresco dining for both vaccinated and unvaccinated guests, but then 10% for indoor dining for vaccinated guests. And if possible, please try to get fully vaccinated. All the people working for my friends in the restaurant owners of the Philippines Resto PH. We all make sure that we give you the best experience and safest experience possible. And we're making sure that all of our employees are fully vaccinated. Again, thanks so much for your continued support. And let's pray. Let's pray that our COVID cases continue to go down so we can go into alert level three and bring our economy back on track. Talking about somebody who is helping our economy, especially our micro, small and medium enterprises, our MSMEs, get back on track not only here in the Philippines, but on a global scale, is our next guest. And I'm so happy to actually have her here on the show. Uh, her name is Mel Nava. Now, let me tell you a bit more about Mel Nava. Her business is called One Export, and she's the founder and CEO. One Export is a Philippines-based logistics startup. So it's like Logitech, right? Uh, it's a logistics technology startup that has raised right now over 800,000 U.S. dollars in a seed funding round, uh, which is recently led by Fox One Capital Partners. So not only are they doing a Philippine-based logistics startup, what they're also doing at the same time is that they're helping small food businesses have a global market. And that's why something that's very, very close to my heart because Mercato does the same thing. We help small food businesses grow. And at the same time, she's helping small uh, businesses here which have international potential grow through our business. So again, please welcome on the show, Miss Mel Nava. Mel, kumusta? Hi, hi, RJ. Yeah, hi, I, we're great. Uh, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, this is great. Right before this one, she was moderating a forum uh, for Cubo, Culita, which is great because in that uh, we actually had a couple of months ago here also Kat Chan 
uh, talking about just how many great entrepreneurs are emerging from Cubo at the same time. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Kubo, Kulitan was great. Uh, there were a lot of startup founders and, you know, uh, happy to also be sharing our story here. So now I'm I'm sharing our story. A while ago, I was... Uh, sharing uh, other people's stories. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, but, but this is exactly something that I'm very, very happy about personally, especially when I feature people like you, like Kat, uh, like Yas Suryao of Shoppertainment and, and uh, Yang Yang Zhang of Sendit. I love featuring women entrepreneurs because it really shows that, you know, they are a force to reckon with in the industry because in, technically my boss in Mercato Central is my wife who's the president. And, you know, I, I hope you don't mind, before we start off talking about your, your, your seed round, tell me how it's like to be a female entrepreneur really making it in the world of, of the startup industry and how, you know, how, how it means to, to inspire other female entrepreneurs as well. Well, I think it's nice. It's a nice time to be a female entrepreneur. I think when I first started One Export, we were in the time of, you know, like uh, the, your likes of Acudine or Caliber, right? Where most of the founders were men, right? There were hardly any female founders. Uh, so it was also hard to ask for advice. Uh, mm-hmm. It was also, you know, especially at that time, it was hard to get funding if you're female, right? Yeah, yes, I've heard, I've heard. Yeah, and so I think, uh, you know, now times are changing. You know, uh, I think uh, during, you know, the Me Too movement where a lot of uh, people are starting to look at, you know, their portfolios, do they have any female investees and uh, I think uh, it's it's changing now right uh, but also it's also very it, it feels there's a lot of pressure because you have to do good right I think you have to do good for the next generation of startups right you have to make it easier right and of course there are great stories but uh, if there are a lot of failures also right uh, it, it makes it hard for the next generation of startups to raise money right if you're a female founder the the notion is well, at least for me, no, like uh, mm-hmm. the notion back then was uh, if you weren't going, you were at a certain point, you were going to get married and have kids and you were not going to be investable. Uh, and so at least uh, we're changing that and we're, and we're happy to be to be a part of, you know, female led uh, entrepreneurs here in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, this is very interesting. When I interviewed Yang Yang a couple of a couple of weeks ago, she had just given birth three weeks in, in three weeks. And what uh, three weeks ago, what truly impressed me was that, you know, she just she's in the States right now. She had just breastfed her newborn. <laughs> put her to sleep, went on the interview. And I was like, I was floored. Like, you know, the, the, the ability for, for females to really multitask, run a business, run a family. I mean, my wife's doing such a fantastic job as well. I mean, she, she's eons better uh, than me what she's doing right now, no? Yeah, and I think for a female founder, you really have a lot to prove, right? You have to not just be good at business. You also have to show na parang the business works. And, you know, even if I'm female, like, you know, it's going to succeed. So I think, I think there's so much nuances, but hopefully in the next few years, it'll be normal. You know, it'll, it'll be the same. The, the, the playing field will be leveled off. So that's, that's kind of my hope for the startup industry. Me too. And the funny thing is that you said that, you know, you were there as part of the Me Too movement as well. So that just gives me an idea of, oh, so that's how long you've been in the startup game. So from, from before Me Too, up to Me Too, then post Me Too. How old is uh, one export? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we started uh, full-time 2017. So I left uh, my okay. corporate job in 2017. But again, like, uh, you know, uh, Me Too movements, right? So like, uh, if I look for funding, diba, parang a lot of people will discount the valuation heavily. Na parang almost 30 oh, to 40%. Wow, so wow. whatever I give, it's like the 30 to 40%, right? So you again, you have a lot to prove. And parang, I guess to, to get away from that gender bias, uh, you really have to show that you have a good business. So I think that's really where it all starts, right? Show that you have a good, sustainable business. Show you have a business that will survive in the pandemic. And I think, uh, you know, the gender uh, will not be a factor in the long run. You should all be gender agnostic, right? Really. Hopefully. We, hopefully we come to that and point. And just look at on, on the business. Hopefully we get there. And all whatever institutional biases hopefully erode over time as we get more female founders here in the Philippines. I agree. Now, having said that, Nell, you know what? I often tell people, like, you come on the show, I'm so excited about one expert because, you know, guys, uh, just to let you know, if you're listening here right now, there have been several instances where actually uh, I was the moderator for the discussion and Mel was competing uh, as a startup for one export. And she was maybe a runner-up or a finalist uh, for this competition. So I've seen her go through the process of doing the hustle. So I, I have a great appreciation for what, what one export is. Uh, but, you know, I often tell, uh, the, especially the startups that, you know, I have to explain your business to people. Yeah. And instead of saying, you know, they often say in the startup, what's your elevator pitch? Which means that, you know, it's like your th- your 30 second pitch to an executive on an elevator, right? 
But let, let me change it a bit and ask you, okay, my dad's 77 years old and <laughs> I have a hard time explaining startups to him. So how would I explain uh, what one expert does and how, how technology played a better part in making what one expert is what it is today? Sure. So, well, one export, uh, what we say is uh, we're a one-stop shop for all of your exporting needs. So uh, when you think about exporting, it's not just about selling to Amazon, right? Or shipping to Amazon. There are a lot of nuances uh, about exporting, like uh, compliances, right? You have to comply with regulations here and regulations abroad. Mm -hmm. We help you with that through our technology. We help you. We have an e-commerce platforms, which is one export trade, where we're able to sell uh, your products to online and offline stores around the world, right? Uh, and lastly, we have a logistics platform, logistics marketplace called ShipIt, where uh, should you be a smaller, medium business, you want to be able to ship products abroad that are compliant, that are not going to held in, get held in customs, get destroyed. You can easily book your shipping on our platform. We will be launching a marketplace integration for all of our products wow. very soon wow. because we got funding. But uh, yeah, we will be working with Shopify. So should you... Again, in the near future, should you wish to incorporate uh, international shipping costs, we can do that for you as well. Or even sell abroad, we can do that for you. So in a, in a gist, that's kind of what we do. Wow, that's quite a gist, huh? <laughs> so, so, I, I have a question. So, okay. Mel, for example, I get this one. So, so also people get to learn as, as they watch, you know, as, as, as they watch us here right now. That's the explanation to my dad, right? That's a 77-year-old explanation. If you were sitting in a pitching competition and you had to give an elevator pitch on what one expert is, what's an elevator pitch of what one expert is? Yes, yeah, so we're. I guess what makes us different is we're able to reduce the time and cost to export by eighty uh, percent. No, so basically uh, we help uh, you export uh, as fast and as as cheap as possible. And this is really because we've streamlined a lot of the operations, right? So we've put the compliance part in in tech, right? So we're able to tell. Where you're, if you have like, say, like Mercator, right? Say you're selling bottled bangus. We're able to tell you what countries bottled bangus is allowed given the oil that you put in or the ingredients that you put in, right? That, that's all in tech. And yeah, like uh, we have a network of buyers abroad, so we can immediately sell your products if your products are compliant. And we're able to ship at uh, extremely competitive rates through Ship It. Well, yeah. so basically uh, the way that I'm looking at it is that you made a very heavily manual process digitized, right? That, that's basically what, what you guys did. And because yes. you're sort of like first to market in developing this digitized application, this is really your sort of your competitive advantage versus other people who want to come into that industry right now. Yeah, yeah. I guess that and also the fact that exporting has always been manual and always been hard. Right? See, uh, there's so much bureaucracy. There's lack of transparency in the system, in the supply chain. And really what we're trying to do is make that transparent, Right, tell you where your products are going, market your products for you. And uh, really, uh, we don't add so much on our margins because we want you to export. That's, that's our goal. We want anybody, a small business, to be able to export as fast and as cheaply as possible. Yeah. And I actually want to point this out, what I realized when, when I, as I listened to you, know, and P, I mean, using my un, the entrepreneurial mindset framework, is the idea that you saw that this pain point is actually an opportunity to do business. Because oftentimes when people look at this one, you know, especially if you're Filipino, you are so jaded by the opportunity. I mean, you know, you're just so you're so thick-skinned. It happens every day. There's nothing we can do about it. I mean, that's how oh, yeah. a regular person would think. But the, how the entrepreneur thinks is that, Taimuna, this is a very difficult problem to solve. But if I solve it, jan ako kikita ng pera, di ba? I mean, that, that's how yeah. you might have seen it, di ba? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we've actually had customers that told us before, parang, you know what, our lolos, our parents told us exporting was hard. They told us not to do it. Yes, and yes, then oh, I went oh. through you and like, okay naman. <laughs> so actually, I mean, that, that, that's really where we're, we, we find so much fulfillment because it's like, yeah, I mean, when we started this, we really said like, there has to be a better way to do this. But we can't just accept na parang just because people think that, you know, the system is bureaucratic. That's it. Diba? So we really, you know, again, uh, how we do it is we do everything above board. We become very transparent with everything that we do. Uh, and we've been able to digitize it. And thankfully, uh, we've survived during the pandemic uh, and really got more customers to export. Yeah. 
I'd love to talk about your pandemic journey with you as well at the same time. And I'm, I'm actually taking down notes so I can ask you those questions in a bit because I'd love to expand the story. Yeah. But really, the big story here right now, as I invited you to the podcast, that, wow, you mean, you mean 800,000 in seed drought funding. So just right now, how do you feel? Because, I mean, you've been doing this. You've been, you've been, you've been really, every day, this is the hustle of the entrepreneur. Finally, oh, yeah. Wow, you've actually gotten to, to seed drought. How, how does it feel, Mel? Well, actually, we were so used to not getting money. Like, I mean, I just, you know, like, we're so used to not getting money. So when we actually, you know, finally got investment from Foxmont and Maine, Manila Angels Investment Network, yeah. right? It was like, oh, really? You're going to put in money? Because we were just so used to not getting money. Uh, and we were bootstrapped to the ground uh, from day one, right? Yeah. And just, just to explain to people what bootstrapping means. Can you melt? So for the first time, we're hearing the word bootstrap for the first time. Anong ibig sabihin yan? Yeah, bootstrap is like uh, really putting in your savings, right? Making things work. Uh, it's really like, diba? from the word bootstrap, na parang, uh, it's really making ends meet. That, making that's kind meet. of who we were, yeah. right? And uh, I guess uh, for, for us, no, our, our only investor before this seed round was my dad. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm saying like it came to a point where actually sinabi pa niya sa akin kasi dati uuwi lang ako ng bahay if uh, I, I was gonna ask for money so <laughs> the joke was huwag ka na nga umuwi dito pag umuwi ka dito umiingi ka na ng pere so <laughs> so for a while that happened no? but yeah I guess uh, we were so used to being bootstrapped but you know I think during the pandemic, we really focused on growth. Because we told ourselves, right, we need to be able to find a way to be sustainable and assume that we will not get money, mm-hmm. right? So we tried to be creative in a lot of ways. So for example, when we didn't have money to finance our orders, we sold our receivables. But if we didn't have money for orders, we would tell customers, like, can you please pay us? Wala na. Like, we need money to produce your orders. Yan yung entrepreneur. Yan yung entrepreneur uh, hustle, uh, That's the hustle uh, right uh, there, uh, diba? Grabe, grabe. And then, you know, I mean, eventually we grew. I mean, uh, when people lent us money uh, and we were able to pay back, we made money and uh, we grew, like, sabihin natin, 25% the next month, right? And then, uh, eventually, we grew three times within one year uh, by growing, like, 25% month on month. So, parang, that, I mean, that was very instrumental for us uh, in getting funding no because people have this notion that funding is easy uh getting oh, yeah, funding yeah. is easy but a lot of investors especially because of the pandemic they started to look at more important metrics right what is your revenue growth your user growth how sustainable are you how close are you to break even right those are questions that um investors really asked and because during the pandemic, we really took this approach of being more sustainable in our operations and, you know, having really loyal customers and growing that customer base sustainably. Uh, that, that I guess that was kind of how we got our first funding. No? So, yeah. I love that story. And I'm, I want to go into that as well. But I'm just curious to find out, how did your dad feel when he finally got a I mean, he must go, Huh? Yung anak ko nakakuna pera sa labas. Mas milagro naman yan. I mean, how did he feel when you told it? Uh, uh, no, I mean, actually, like, my dad was there also when I would talk to more serious investors. He would sit down with me uh, and, you know, sometimes ask the investors a couple of questions. Sometimes if the valuation was low-balled, he would tell me outright, parang, how much money ba talaga do you need? Diba? Parang you're raising this much money, but... Ano, can you do uh, well with kunwari, 1 million pesos? Kunwari, if I loaned you 1 million pesos on the bank, will you be able to pay that? Diba? Parang mga ganun yung questions niya. No? So sometimes, like, uh, you know, sometimes you have this grand vision of like $100,000, but actually you just need $20,000. So, so I guess you work with that no? it's to start. No? But when we first got funding, I think he was surprised. Because uh, <laughs> he was so used to, you know, me going to the going home and borrowing money. Uh, but then uh, I think for a while he was like, Are you sure you want to do this? Because you've always been, you always tell me you're raising money. And then uh, you, know, you get heartbroken in the end. But uh, when we finally showed growth, I think, and we were able to justify our valuation to the investors, he was pleasantly surprised. I think uh, it was also like, Oh, okay. I'm not the only one doing this, right? I mean, I'm not the only one investing. <laughs> it, it validates. In you. It validates the money yeah. I put into her business. Para, para yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people are also investing in you, and so I guess, uh, you know, that that also puts him in a good position, right? But also keeping in mind, because my dad's a finance guy, no? so he was really down to the numbers. I mean, 
hindi siya ganun kadali humingi ng pera. Like, kapag hihingi ng pera, kailangan may balance sheet yan, kailangan may income statement, cash flow statement. Nag-thesis defense ako every, every Sunday kapag umuwi ako. And I guess that, that discipline really uh, taught us to be you know, sustainable, to keep our records in order from the very beginning. Because especially for businesses when you're starting, sometimes finance is the one thing you don't look at. And then, ni mo alam na pala. That's right. So that discipline, I guess, really put us in order uh, and, and, you know, really helped us. And, you know, especially with raising money, you need, kailangan ka mag-due diligence, di ba? So a lot of these things, you these documents you have to have in order. That's right. Parang the financial housekeeping is important. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I, I can tell you very much, but sales is the only thing in your at that mind at that site. It's just sales and marketing, sales and marketing. But then sometimes you fail to fix the plumbing. In other words, the organization, the HR. I mean, and of course the finances. But you don't really fix the books as, as well as you should, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And oh. I guess having him on board at the start was really helpful. Hello, people of the earth. This is Red, host of Bago Matulog with Red Olguero, wherein I don't use this voice. It's actually a late night show podcast. My guests are people who are very passionate about what they do, and we talk about that. So check it out on Spotify or wherever you hear your podcasts. Just search Bago Matulog with Red Olguero. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. That's really fantastic for you that you had, you had your dad there to help you out. Now, the other question is, like, like right now, people often wonder, now you've gotten this big amount of money. They're wondering, 800000 What What's you going to do with 800000 US dollars? You threw a big party. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, for people who don't know, no, where the, where yeah, the money's yeah. going to go, right? I wish, I wish you could throw a big party. Yeah. But uh, no, we're not. Gonna... Yeah, how does, how does it work now? So, okay, you got the $800,000, but how did you plan out on using it? Okay, well, so, okay, like, uh, I guess maybe before we started raising money, the, the question we had in our heads was, okay, where are we going to use the money? And we realized that we weren't going to raise money if it was going to be like doing our own operations, right? Because hey, we already figured out a way to do it very well. Uh, we were going to use the money for scale, right? And normally, uh, startups speak, normally they say, you have to grow 10x, 10 times your normal growth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in order to do that, you need certain growth levers, right? meaning there are, you know, and gro growth uh, could be uh, increasing your quant the number of transactions you have, the, the frequency of people buying from you, uh, you know, the quantity of your orders or your price, right? Uh, and how do you do that, right? And for us, we wanted to expand in more markets, right? So before we got the funding, we knew we were growing at scale. We just didn't have the money to do that. Because so in 2019, we were in four markets and we acquired these markets very manually. Okay, so when you say four markets, four foreign markets. Yes, so we were okay. exporting to like US, Qatar, Singapore, and Australia. Okay. Okay. In 2019, we were in 12 markets. So we grew three times without spending, without traveling. So we grew three times. So we grew to 12 markets, right? As of today, we're actually in 28 markets. Mm, so okay. the year has not ended, but we've actually over doubled our number of markets for export. And so when we realized this, uh, you know, we knew we knew it was time to raise money. And so uh, in terms of where we're going to spend the money, of course, it's acquiring more markets, right? So by the end of, you know, at least a year, 
we intend to be in 60 different markets, right? Ship to 60 different markets. Uh, we intend to, right now, we have about 450 micro, small, and medium enterprises. Of course, with our partnerships with DTI, Go Local, we have more than that. But uh, hopefully have 3,000 small and medium enterprises logged onto our platform and uh, really open in Indonesia. A separate operation like this one in Indonesia. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So it's like yeah, they, one export Indonesia, parang ganyan. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So the interesting thing about the Philippines uh, is if you, because there's so much bureaucracy, right? We talked about it and it's so hard. If you solve a relevant problem here, a very, very painful problem here, you're likely solving it for the rest of Southeast Asia. That's right. That's so right. actually, when people saw us pitch, right, in different competitions. Which, yeah, I've heard you pitch several yes, times. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, well, uh, startups in Indonesia said, well, well, can you export our products? So even heavily funded startups, you know, are looking for funding, uh, you are looking for more, more markets for exports. And uh, it's something that we know we can help them with because you know, we were able to grow to 28 different markets in a span in less than a year, right? So, and I think uh, it's it's really just going to grow grow from here. You know? So uh, uh, those are our key. You know? Of course, tech, integrating tech, having a more robust tech system. So we will be integrating with different marketplaces in order to grow. Of course, you cannot grow 10x without tech but also leverage on a lot of uh, partners, right? Online and offline. So uh, we actually have like a, a partnership with uh, Seafood City. Uh, a lot, we're, we're launching a couple of programs. For people who don't know, why is, it, why is it very relevant to have a partnership with Seafood City? Okay, so Seafood City is a uh, supermarket chain store in the United States. So they have 28 stores in the United States uh, and uh, four stores in Canada. How Seafood City is built is it's like a... Filipino city, right? It's like if you have Seafood City, they normally have a Jollibee, a Red Ribbon, or a Goldilocks, like a Padala store, a Remittance Center, right? So it's really like a community. So normally if a Filipino will have to miss his products from home or, you know, wants to eat Filipino food, they go to a seafood city. That's kind of how they were set up. For us, uh, our goal uh, from the very beginnings is to help micro, small, and medium enterprises export. That has been uh, the, the vision from the start, and it, it still is the vision until now. And, you know, I think just bringing, like you, like in Mercato, just having your bottled bangus in a seafood city is like a major achievement for some small or medium enterprises, right? So so for us, we, we'd like to bring more products, more Filipino products to the rest of the world uh, and eventually really create that global footprint and bringing, trying to mainstream uh, Filipino food, right? Because, you know, you have a lot of Japanese food, a lot of Korean food, right? That are mainstreamed around the world. But it's funny that, you know, Filipino food is still, uh, you know, as, as a lot, even if we have so much, uh, the diaspora is is very well evident ar- around the world. It's not as mainstream as like your Japanese food. Or, or your Thai food, diba? I mean, which is funny because if, if you look at the U.S. right now, I mean, we are, I think, next to the Chinese or the Indians in terms of, of an Asian ethnic minority, but we're, yes. like the silent, we're the silent majority when it comes to films, when it comes to culture, and, yeah. and of course, food, right? which is Which is yes, kind of strange. Yes. Oh. I agree. And so that that's kind of really our goal, right? How do we bring uh, Filipino products to the mainstream, right? And the first part is to get it to the diaspora, to get them to talk about the food, to get them to really appreciate. And not you're talking when you're talking about the diaspora, it's not just the Filipinos that migrated, right? It's your second, third generation Filipinos that, you know, yeah, were yeah. born to we're, we're longing, we're longing for that one. Yeah. Right? And we're longing for their heritage. They want to understand their culture, right? These are these are people we're trying to get to. Fantastic. I just want to go to the comments a bit. Uh, the really nice comments coming in from Jeff Manyala, first of all. Wow, and I, I'm wild as well, Jeff. You know, so I, did, I you know, well, okay. Let's put the Lita, Let's put the comment of Jeff over there, okay? Because you know why I'm why I'm wowing because I just was interviewing her a couple of months ago, and she wasn't yet at the scale of 28 countries. Eh? So <laughs> that that's quite a scale for them right now. And then second, the motion to si Roland Paul Tiongko, sabi niya, wow rin siya, napapawaw rin siya si Roland Paul Tiongko. And he's got a really nice follow up question as well over here. He goes, "Hi, Mel." Uh, how can we be one, one part of one expert? We make all natural, plant-based, vegan cleaning and disinfection products. So I guess you get a lot of questions here right now, and then there are people go, sure. going to be listening to this via the podcast already. Yeah. How do they qualify? So let's let's use this question as a basis to to say okay. what are the type of products that you can carry on one export that that is good for export abroad. 
So we do everything. No? So we actually started with food, uh, but we do everything from beauty. Uh, people are really looking for beauty uh, products. Uh, we do handicrafts as well uh, and accessories, home fashion accessories, right? Uh, I guess for us, like uh, to answer Paul's question, what we do is we qualify all of our suppliers. So uh, for natural, plant-based, no chemicals, no harmful complicated processes no uh, it's easier to export right because uh, it's readily accepted as long as you have certain documents right so depending on so how we do it is you log on to our platform you register as a supplier and we onboard you uh, in terms of how to use it uh, we ask you normally for your products uh, product makeup uh, one way we go about it is co- help you become compliant in terms of documentation. And then le- next would be help you become compliant in terms of labels because those are important for exports, right? Once you're compliant on bo- those ends, we're able to sell your products to different markets abroad. Uh, you know, and, and normally, uh, I'll tell you, if you're compliant already, we can sell you as uh, in as fast as uh, 30 days, right? That's the fastest we've been able to export somebody. Uh, and of course, ship it, shipping immediately to our customers abroad. We just before everything else, because you know, people might be listening to this online only on the podcast, what website can they visit to apply again, Mel? It's, it's oneexport.com, and then you register as a supplier. Okay. But if you want to buy, you can register as a buyer as well. A buyer as well. So, Roland, uh, please please feel free to visit that one. Another good question. I know, I know Jonathan over here. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks again for listening, and I like his question. This is a great platform of exporters. Isn't he great? See, this is the nice thing if you if you solve a pain point, Deba. I mean, it's like yes, yes. it's like you're saying, "Oh my, I this why wasn't this a long time? Why why wasn't it here a long time ago?" And that's when you know you're solving a pain point, right? Because it yes. gives us a clear and fast processing for export needs. This will be my best choice for us to go through. And I know that Jonathan, I think, is involved in the in the jewelry uh, business, or, or 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 I I'm correct, uh, Jonathan. Please let me know in the chat box if that's correct about jewelry. So how about how about what are the other I, I guess we said food and, and natural products. How about these other export, like is furniture? But yeah, furniture. We also do um, mga, you know, even mga like uh, natural products. No, so from corn husks, maganon. So we do a lot of those. So whatever it is that people want to export, we just help them become compliant, and uh, we make sure that they uh, they become export ready and ship out immediately. So our goal is like a. You can sell to anybody. You don't just have to sell with us, right? Because our, our goal is, you know, we, we want you to export. That, that's really the goal, right? Uh, and for example, if you process your compliances, those documentation, uh, those assets are yours, right? We don't keep them. Those are yours to keep. And, uh, you know, just those are yours to use. Uh, so you become export ready all throughout the time you want to export. Well, then I have a great question just to follow it up for you over there. Do you help them find buyers if they are exporters? Because from what I understand from before, but help help me understand yes. it's still my same understanding, right? Yes. Uh, the model before that Mel used to have, and maybe she'll get into this in our discussion later on, is that she exports things from the uh, products from the Philippines, which are sent to uh, small, like in the states, like Minnesota or Tennessee or Kentucky, you know, where there are small Filipino communities over there. That's where the products go. So mainly, her products are meant for export from small Filipino businesses here to small Filipino businesses based abroad. So yes. having said that, can you actually do some kind of business matching on, on your platform as well? Oh, yeah. So basically, kasi like uh, what we do when, you, when you're a registered supplier on our platform, we really go uh, all the way to like uh, sending your cat, s- sending your products to, we, we kind of send like an online catalog to our buyers like monthly, right? And that's kind of where they order. So again, uh, uh. you have to understand like the, the experience that we were trying to disrupt was a very manual exporting process that you know would find buyers via trade shows right? so for us they know that we uh, were compliant they know that they won't have any problems when we, they go through customs and all we have to do is uh, register on our platform and we will be the ones to sell for them so normally we come back to them and say hey this buyer has an order for you and uh, you know they're delighted because sometimes uh, you know the sale can be anything from as small as a thousand US dollars which actually means a lot because right? you can Either pay uh, your barangay clearance with a thousand dollars, but sometimes it even goes up to like ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, right? Uh, as long as your products are compliant and you know they're they're ready for export. Yeah, this actually reminds me the same way that you were saying that you're disrupting that. You know, instead of going to a trade show, they can just go to you. That's actually you know my my same thought process. 
I, I, I know you've heard my other company, Easy Franchise. Yes. And in Easy Franchise, that was basically the idea, but it's a very manual process. You've got to attend franchise shows to know who, who's there. Yeah. You, can't, you can't compare apples to apples who's the best franchise to get, especially if you're an OFW who wants to invest here. So, you know, that's why I, I, can, I, I understand the business very well because it's like saying we had to put an Easy Franchise to digitalize the whole process of oh, yeah. looking for a franchisor that fits my budget or category that I want and then I can apply online. I mean, that's exactly what disruption means. The value is trying to simplify a painful process. And that's why when I, when I, it, it's great what you guys are doing right now. And I'm seeing the same kind of feedback coming from the people here commenting on the chat box. Just a question also as well for many of them who, who want to actually, who are listening to this here right now is, what are the hot products right now in terms of the trends? But you, what are you seeing? Is it mostly food that's being exported here right now? And what kind of food? Please give us an idea basically right now of what products are in demand by Filipino. And your clients are mostly Filipinos abroad, but I guess they're all Filipinos abroad. Yeah, we started with Filipinos abroad. Now we're kind of going mainstream. So like okay. uh, we're the, the more Asian markets and now, of course, more mainstream than that, right? Targeting like people in Qatar, right? Uh, so, you know, that that's kind of our target. But I guess to start, like uh, one of the trends we are seeing is like people are looking for more authentic flavors or products from home, right? You can say like, if you go to Hawaii, uh, they'll say it's from Hawaii, but actually it's maybe manufactured in China oh, or the Philippines, oh. right? So a lot of people are looking for that, especially in, say, restaurants, right? Like, uh, you know, they want to taste products that, you know, they really used to grow up with, right? And sometimes those products are not readily available because they don't have the big brand name or they don't, you know, the big distributors are not So is it called sausawan? Mga sausawan? Yung mga... Like, uh, I mean, like, we can even go to oh. like, uh, yung mga... Yeah, so we can go to Cinemac, right? So people are looking for Cinemac. So in the States, for example, if they can't find Cinemac, they will they will use apple cider vinegar, yeah. which is completely yeah. different. It's oh, not even oh, the same right. thing, oh. right? So I think uh, on, on that end, uh, first the first trend is people are looking for more authentic flavors because I think the trend is in the next 30 years, the either the American table, the European table, the Middle Eastern table will not be Middle Eastern. It will not be American. Right, there'll be a mix, a fusion of food, right? So I think, uh, of course, if there's a time to export, it is now because people are looking for authentic flavors from home. But I guess the second theme, that trend we, we've really been seeing is people are looking for more interactive ways to engage with their products. So it's not just like you you bring it to a store and that's it, right? Normally, people uh, appreciate like a lot of like your crafts or DIY uh projects right so so you've seen a rise of that uh in subscription boxes or uh, you've okay. seen a rise in that in like people uh like setting up your own your own cake for example right so those are interesting trends right uh and i guess like uh like one 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 another trend really uh I think is, of course, uh, going into the healthy, uh, more sustainable route, right? We've seen um, people... I've seen it particularly during the pandemic. I mean, I'm seeing from the yes. food sector right now that it's even grab food is saying the trends and even Mercato, we're seeing that salads, you know, or healthy sandwiches or, or vegan yeah. or vegetarian alternatives are actually uh, increasing in, in, in ordering, which wasn't there pre-pandemic. I agree. And, you know, I mean, like, uh, I think, uh, you know, people are looking for more sustainable, like, uh, you know, how was this product made, right? Uh, that trend was there before the pandemic, but I think mm. uh, people were more thoughtful in about, in, in their purchases after the pandemic. Uh, people started to really look into, agree, agree. Oh. you know, the source of where their products are going, right? So even down to manufacturing processes, right? Like uh, when you have to manufacture goods, you have to make sure that you're your staff is COVID-free. There are stuff like that, right? A he more healthy, uh, sustainable route. And, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, the, and people are willing to pay more for that. I think we've seen that, you know, not just in the Philippines, but even abroad, right? Like uh, people are willing to pay a premium for those things. Yeah. Well, really nice feedback here as well. I like from Roland, uh, Roland Paul Tionko saying, thank you, Sir Arjen, Ms. Mel. We've been looking for something like this for a very long time. I, I really love that comment. Uh, Nathan, let's show that comment. Again, Mel, I mean, Guys, this is entrepreneurial mindset thinking at work, solving a pain point. And we often say that, especially when, when you're looking, when you, when you like, and I was listening to some Y Combinator talks, they often say, you know, the more difficult the problem to solve when it's a bit harder, that's the one you want to get at. If you, yeah. especially, because when you get at it, and people will pay more for it right now. But the funny thing yeah. is that they're not paying more for your service, but because it's such a, it's such a breeze right now, uh, that's yeah. what people have been looking for. Uh, I have somebody here saying, 
I like this one. Jonathan DeJoss saying, your company will be a blessing to us. And he's a guy in jewelry, okay? So that's what yeah, he was saying. Hopefully, hopefully the, they get to help you, really. Uh, yeah. You know, we really work with our SMEs. Uh, I, mean, I mean it. Like, uh, you know, we're not after the profit. We're, in fact, we're really like, uh, sometimes, as long as we get your products there, we get it there the first time, we're happy. Yeah, I love it because I can feel you because it's our, it's our like it's like Simon Sinek says, it's your why, right? Your why yeah. is to help, it's your why is to help small food, small businesses grow. Because my why is, for me, my Mercatus, I want to help small food businesses grow. That's my advocacy yeah. and my business at the same time. So I feel, I think you feel the same way as I do that. But I'm like, because kikita naman ako dito, eh, di ba? Eventually, but then I yeah. want to help you because I want to prove a point. Now, here's a nice one that Jonathan DeJoss was saying, and I just want to get your, your, your thoughts on this one. Nathan, if you can flash this comment of his, no? I've had hard times before on the process of my jewelry orders in Germany that I failed because I use other companies that use my orders to their advantage or in their advantage. I'm sure you've gone through oh, that. Yeah. Then, no? oh, tell us a bit more yeah. about, you know, and how also you, you kind of solve that problem when you, when you put up one export. Well, for us, nga, like uh, what we do is we make sure like uh, you have the assets with you. So compliance documents are your assets, right? It's not one export because normally a normal trader will keep their assets to themselves and then they won't teach you how to export. We actually teach you how to export, right? Down to the, you know, I mean, so that knowledge that we give to you, it's something that you can even use uh, down the line for anything. So they can, they can keep it after they're done, after they go through your process, the paperwork that you went through. Yeah, it's all theirs. Because okay. for us, like, you know, what if somebody orders online, diba? Of course, we're happy for you, right? Uh, that they order online and you have these documents in order para you don't get charged uh, so much higher, no? I guess, like, uh, for us, we saw that problem in the industry, not just here, no, even abroad, right? Uh, people taking advantage of their customers. So, like, with us, we really have to vet our customers. We really take the time of day to vet our customers. So sometimes, even if they give us so much money, sometimes we decline because it's like, this is sketchy, right? We don't <laughs> want to be in business when we know our name is on the Hard line. to decline, no? When you see the money in your face, but of course, decline of course, to put yeah, in. yeah. But parang, you know, for us, the questions really are like, if we do this one time, diba, we could probably get away with it. But, you know, parang, you know, will our conscience uh, keep, diba, will, will, will we be okay with it? Diba? And is That's it something right. that we can tell people about it? Diba? And if, it's, if the answer is no, we normally don't go through with it. So parang, you know, outright we tell our customers where their products are going, how much the products are being sold you know, who are their customers are. Like we tell them, like, for example, we have small businesses, like small subscription businesses. Oh. We tell our customers, wait, at the mga second, third generation Filipinos na natatap mo, diba? And, and now they're familiar of your products, right? And we do a lot of the marketing things with them also. That's really great value added. That's for me, that's really great value added because you're, you're giving them, you're actually the, you're the, you're the marketing, you're the PR, the PR in mga small businesses. Yeah, because especially when here in the Philippines, diba, parang you have your Nestle, your, your Mondesin, you oh. have your sales agents. You know where your products are. But when you go export, you're completely blindsided. You're really like a startup. You're like, where That's are my right. products going? Who is selling my products? Who is eating my products, right? And why did my products sell or not, right? Parang those are those are questions we, we would like to answer, uh, and we, which we really uh, in, applied and incorporated in our business. Okay. So this is this is great. I love I love the people interacting here right now, Mel. I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna field a couple more <laughs> questions because I think they're very yeah. relevant. Eh. Yeah. Uh, from Jeff Manyalak, a really nice question. How can you help? Can, how can you help the creative economy in using this uh, one export platform? Which is a good question because uh, you know the creative economy is not only. I mean, many it's it's service related and it's also sometimes it can it can you know it can halo to product related things as well. well do, do you have any thoughts on this one? Well, we can definitely collaborate. No, uh, there are a lot of artists, uh, you know, that we we work with uh, in terms of uh, product development uh, and you know, marketing development. No? So, for example, uh, with uh, Seafood City, you know, we're launching parang mga boxes. Uh, yung mga, we're launching mga marketing boxes with them, di ba? A lot of that, uh, you know, we collaborate with, for example, Papi Milleroti, that, you know, as oh, okay. they, they, they design, their, they have their own artists, they design, right? So we, we first, uh, one way is we export, but also another way is to use their talent, uh, you know, the creative economy's talent for promoting products, right? Uh, and marketing products. I like that. Now, I've got the two questions which have a similar theme. They come from the last two questions. Uh, if you can show them as well, Nathan, no? 
Uh, the last two questions are very interesting. Uh, from Jeff Manyalak, one of the problems of the Philippine, you know, of products coming from the Philippines is that they are perceived as being inferior, right? Or so they usually brand it differently than they send, send it. I mean, they, they change the label or they change that it came from the Philippines and they make it their own. And the other question, let's go to Terrell C's uh, question as well, or comment. Uh, do you see any discrimination for Filipino products uh, overseas? We're a bit scared to export because we might be seen as cheap or, or inferior. So how do you deal with this type of uh, feedback? Because you've, you've seen it all, Mel. So tell us a bit more. How, how can we... Sure. I don't know. Is it, is it a matter of uplifting our image? Is it a matter of... Tell, tell us a bit more of how things change. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess, for one, I think things are changing, right? Uh, of course, you know, you had overseas Filipinos uh, initially going to abroad, you know, going to the rest of the world as you know, as, as domestic helpers, right? And there's so much uh, value in that, right? But you also have more overseas Filipinos going to migrate uh, as skilled workers, right? They're doctors, nurses, you know, accountants, right? And they are taking space in, in the world, right? Uh, for that, I think, because we are also leveling up, right, uh, in terms of uh, education, in terms of value to the world, right? People no longer like look at us as inferior, right? And I think that also translates to our products, right? Actually, Filipino products uh, in general are more expensive versus other Southeast Asian products. Why? Really? Yeah. Yes. We, I mean, labor is cheap, yes. But e- electricity ex- is expensive. It's expensive, yes. That's right. We're, we're the most expensive in Southeast Asia, I think. Yes, right? Uh, internet is expensive. Shipping it's, is expensive. It's <laughs> internet is not yeah, as expensive. Exactly, as, uh, right? Oh. Shipping is expensive. Like if you, before pre-pandemic, right, shipping one container from the Philippines to the U.S., for example, is $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 max, right? From China to the U.S., it's $400, right? That's one container, right? So you can already see the disparity, right? So actually, if you look at it and, and you you uh, level off, uh, Philippine products are more expensive, right? I guess first, uh, first the, the important part, and, and uh, this is really part of our strategy, uh, is to target the diaspora. People are missing products from home. That is a fact. It's a Jollibee strategy, right? Yes. It's a jo- yes. Okay. People are missing products from home, and people are very loyal to products from home, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I have an aunt that lives in New York, and she's been there for you know for fifty years. She's technically American, right? But if she sees something like made from the Philippines, she will buy it. Because it's like people are loyal to products from home, even if she doesn't need it. So I think that that's one strategy, of course, targeting the diaspora. But, you know, I guess for one export also, we also offer like a, we've in so many ways, we've also rebranded people's products. Like uh, we've, uh, you know, relabeled them in a really nice way. So you, you also help them that in the marketing, improving yeah. their marketing uh, promotional materials. Uh. Exactly. So, for example, people have like the bangu. One one supplier, Elisha Bay. Uh, she she has a bangus uh, label, diba And if she would just print it from her home, no. And then we rebranded her products. Na parang ang ganda wow, ng okay kayo, Mas maraming bumili, no? So wow. I guess uh, packaging is one definitely. Uh, obviously, if we package the products better, I know we can do more. Uh, but also like uh, you know, I think just marketing it better, no. Parang uh, like one of our first products actually was also healthy. So actually, if you look at also healthy, they're fruit crisps in the market. That's not cheap, right? They're actually quite expensive, no? But I think because they knew that they wanted to be like high-end Filipino product, right? Uh, and and they were already compliant to begin with. It was easy to market them to the stores that we had, right? And to certain markets that that catered to also healthy, right? So I think uh, we're, we're, that's slowly changing. Philippine products are starting to get better and better. Like, And I think it's really also the diaspora, no? Parang like the Filipinos in New York, you know, like uh, we, I've met somebody that, uh, you know, started a business in Hell's Kitchen, diba? Dati, nasa Queens lang tayo. Now, he brought us to mainstream Manhattan, diba? So, that that's starting to change now. Uh, people's perception of Filipinos in general, uh, but again, uh, of course, a lot of marketing has to be done. You know, a lot of showing that we have so much value add, and this product is unique, will really help uh, level up Philippine products. Hello there, Chinkitan here, motivational speaker, wealth coach, best-selling author, and now. 
host of Chink Positive Podcast, a podcast that aims to help you to become wealthy and debt-free by teaching you on how to save, budget, get out of debt, and invest. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. Available on wherever you get your podcasts. See you there! Well, thanks so much. Well, that was a really, really great discussion I had and great interaction with the people listening. Now, I, I want to change change the pace of our discussion in just a bit, no? And delve more into the entrepreneurial aspect of this all, diba? Right? And, and I've been talking about so much about pain points, right? Uh, I want to go back to the idea of, you know, when you started off uh, one export, how did you come across this pain point? And when did you decide to turn it into a business? Okay, so I was... I was working in the export industry for about three years, right? Three years before I did my master's, no? Uh, when I left my master's, uh, when I left for master's, uh, small and medium enterprises were approaching me, asking if I can consult, right? So initially, it was like a couple, like one or two. So I mean, kaya, kaya naman, no? But it started becoming from one or two, naging five uh, small and medium enterprise. And I realized there was a common theme for most of them. No? So I think for us, it's like, okay, how do we scale this up? Diba? Because, I mean, we can do a consulting model for the rest of my life. Diba? Pero yeah, we're not taking advantage of opportunities that are in front of us. Like at that time when we were conceptualizing for one export, Tech was already known. Parang people were starting to build uh, tech companies. You're, you're the likes of Acudian, Zipmatch, uh, Caliber were starting to pop up, right? So it's like, why don't we start a tech startup, right, uh, solving this problem? And I guess that's really where it started. We started off with compliance. So we did the compliance ourselves to know that it was really hard, right? I went to the FDA myself. I waited for that long. Right then, we started trade. So we sold to buyers abroad. We knew it was hard because people kept turning us down. And then eventually shipping because wow, shipping is so expensive. How do we bring that down? So I guess in that order, we started building the business models of one export, uh, and, and of course incorporating tech because we knew we couldn't do everything on our own. We we didn't want to be a consulting company. We didn't want to work on a consulting model because one, that was going to be so expensive. And there really was a cheaper and better way to do this. So, but you, you, weren't, you weren't a tech person at the start, right? Yeah, I was a tech person. in the. <laughs> how did you manage to get the tech? I mean, for many people, they're curious. They're going, wow, I, I have a great idea, but then how do I put the team together? How do I get the tech the tech in place? How do you do Okay, so I started off with, you know, so I have an idea, right? And then I went to Startup Weekend. So I have to say, like, even if the Philippine startup, you know, it's still pretty, it's it's pretty lagging behind other Southeast Asian competitors. Like, you have, how do I put this? You have, you know, Vietnam getting more investments than the yes, Philippines. Yes, exactly. Indonesia getting more investments than the Philippines, right? The ecosystem is good, right? I think you've been there. You've seen that yourself, yes, RJ. Yes, like, people are willing to help each other. Uh, people are willing to support each other. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of events like Startup Weekend or, you know, parang networking events that allow you to meet co-founders. So I met my, co- my first tech co-founder in Startup Weekend. We did this where we tested the idea over that weekend. We had a prototype. And then we worked on one export every weekend after Startup Weekend, right? And then eventually, when we had some money from our sales, we started building the tech. So that was really kind of how we did it uh, from the start. Wow. So I, I know I, I hope I can, I can have a bit more time. I know you've got something after this one, but give me a bit more time if you don't no, mind. No? Okay. Now, okay, let's say that okay, you started building it. And I, uh, this is a great story because people don't know how it works. So every week, you were doing it as a part-time thing, right? You were doing it as a full-time yeah. thing. So what were you doing? What were you doing on the full time? And what made you eventually decide that, hey, I could be doing this one full time? Okay. Okay. So I think uh, we had about one or two uh, current customers, right? SMEs that, you know, we were kind of consulting for at the start, right? And we were kind of building the tech on the side. It became painful when we hit three customers, right? And that was (laughs) kind of when we knew like uh, we because, of course, the, the job requires you to be there full-time, right? And, of course, the startup will also require you to be there full-time. So uh, my co-founder back then uh, quit his job because he was also just tired of his job. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm resigning. And he said, 
you know, this is what I believe, right? When you go full-time, you, you think, because you're doing the startup part-time, you think you, you have less time, no? But you, ha- you, you, you have more time to do the startup or whatever because you're doing it part-time. But actually, when you do, when you become full-time with your startup, you solve more startup problems. Yep, yep. So what happens is uh, you actually, like, uh, you, you, the growth of the startup becomes faster when you're full-time. So I guess that was when we found out, like, when we, when we figured that, Doing three customers at a time was already difficult. It was time to leave the job. Okay. Was there a point when you were doing that startup work? No, when you when you thought, because we all go through this one, right? We go through the we all go through the point that, parang, wow, when did I quit my job? I mean, there's a lo- there's a low point for you. I mean, yeah. What was that? What was that low point for you when you were when you were doing uh, one export? You go, why did I leave my job? Why am I doing this? Was there a point for you that was like that? Oh yeah, so many times in the process because, like, uh, you know, there were so many times we qu- we thought we were gonna die. So those those times <laughs> were like, oh my god, you know. And I'll tell you, like, uh, in the five years you've been running the business, it's only on the fifth year na match ko yung sweldo ko when I last left corporate. <laughs> so re- we really took the pay cut, right? Like, uh, and you know, I mean, uh, I get, but. In so many ways, startup is a privilege, right? Uh, you know, you can, like, I, I mean, I had the privilege of my dad kind of funding my startup on the second year of our business. Uh, but also, like, it's also a major commitment, right? Which I understand not a lot of people can make, right? So a, a lot of people will make calculated decisions, right? They will try to get funding first, or they will try to get a really uh, so many customers first, right? In order to do that. I guess for me, uh, there is no one true startup path. There is no like quit your job and and make a startup run. You know, there's no one true path. I I truly don't believe that. Uh, but I I also believe that I believe this. No, but if you if you put in enough time and money with your startup, it will uh it will be very loyal to you. No, parang time, money, effort, uh, and brain power. It will. It you know it will grow the, the way that you want it to grow, uh, but I I also understand that not everybody can just quit their jobs and, and yes. run a startup. That's right? right. What was the point for you, Naman, when you were doing a startup? So there was the low point, but what was that point for you? And I often tell people this: when para when you go, oh my god, it's it's actually going to work. It's going to grow because like for me, I'll, I'll tell you my stories. Like when there was one time when Mercato had opened up, and you para it was just an idea, right? And we just put it up, and yeah. I was standing there, and there was like. A crowd of people coming in back and forth. I was going, "Oh my God, we did this!" That was. I was like, "This is gonna work." Well, what is that point for you when you were doing one export? I think during the time of the pandemic, uh, that was really I, I, <laughs> five I years into the business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, for the longest time, I think my dad was like, uh, he was quite sure at some point I was gonna quit the business and like <laughs> shut it down. I think he was so sure about. He actually told me that very candidly, very recently. And then at the time of the pandemic, I told people, look, like, uh, we have to work because we don't have a lot of runway, right? We have to work our hardest, right? And everybody, I saw it in everybody's eyes, they worked their hardest, right? We're not like, a, we're not paying high dollar, right? And then the customers came, like the customers showed up, our, our suppliers uh, registered on our platform without us prompting. Oh. And that was when I knew that even with a pandemic and even if something really bad happens, we were going to survive. And, we, you know, it became even more meaningful because, you know, a lot in the pandemic, a lot of businesses, restaurants started to close. A lot of them were pivoting to products and a lot of them were, you know, wanted to just sell abroad. And, you know, for us, if you were able to sell one product, that was a major milestone for us. We was, we will celebrate that, right? Like a, We've seen people from, you know, almost shutting down their business. Initially, we gave them a $5,000 sale, right? And then uh, and now they're, they're selling like ten, tens of thousands of dollars abroad because of that first sale we've been able to do. So wow. that, that for us was like, okay, we know we're going to stay in business. Oh, so a question lang, what did you have to do any pivot or, or, I, or did you have to, I course, correct the business during the pandemic? Or was it something that you, you, when you had placed everything, the strategy in place, the pandemic just kind of accelerated the pace of your business? Yeah, I think uh, the pandemic accelerated the business. So, like for example, one export trade where we would sell to major supermarket chain stores online, it was just a normal flow of goods. But we told ourselves also, like, what can we do to make things better? Diba? Parang if 
you know, we want every single small or medium enterprise to be able to make that sale, right? So either if it's a $1,000 sale, it's still a sale for us, right? Uh, that, that's, that was kind of how we saw it, right? How do we provide relevant products? That's, that's, that, that was why we launched Caravan. We, we enable overseas Filipinos to, to launch a reselling business, right? And that was why we launched Ship It. We really significantly reduced the cost of shipping for small, medium businesses because sometimes that would be the major barrier for them to, to make that international sale online. So a lot of those things we really worked on. And uh, I think we, we always ask ourselves that, you know, how do we make it better for people? So there. Great. Now, you know, I'm going to start wrapping up this discussion, but it's such a great discussion for me over here. No? Mel, a lot of learnings for, for, for future entrepreneurs and exporters here at the same time. But you know, before I wrap this up, there's two things I really want to ask you. Know, first of all, is in terms of opportunities, what opportunities do you see emerging right now as a result of your business? Uh, t- tangential to your business because of your business? Where can other people participate that they're seeing opportunities in? Okay. Well, I think for us, it's really uh, one, you know, people are looking to go global, right? You cannot stop that, right? Uh, you know, like uh, for, uh, 47% of products purchased in the United States last year were not from the United States, right? So people are sourcing globally. People are looking for opportunities abroad, right? Uh, and, and how do you bridge that gap? That, that's one. You really, there is no stopping that. I guess the second opportunity really is how do we bridge, you know, how do we make things more convenient, more accessible, more cheaper for people that want to do cross-border trade, right? Of course, you have your Lazadas, your Shopees that are, that are you know, major e-commerce players, Amazons that are major e-commerce players. But how do you get the products? Authenticity is one. Trust is another one. And being able to... Uh, make sure that there will be no hiccups in that supply chain process, right? And lastly, I think, you know, the, the shift again to more healthy, more sustainable operations, more, more sustainable goods, right? Uh, people will always be continue to be looking for this, right? Again, like uh, with the Me Too movement, if your company did something bad, right? But we've seen this like a change in Uber CEO, right? Because he's had certain scandals in the past, right? It's not just important to be a great company having good revenues, but it's important to be a good company, right? With certain values in order and in place. And having said that, my, my other question is related to that one. You've been in the startup industry and you know, you're seeing, you know, and because of that one, or also in the export industry and, and tech industry, in the tech startup industry. And let's say, for example, if you had the time, what opportunities would you pursue that, uh, you know, if you had the time, you would pursue them right now? If you had the time or the effort? Uh, well, for me, I've, of course, we see a lot of uh, cross-border payments. That's that's kind of cool. Uh, we also see a lot of like, for me, people are looking for more authentic experiences, right? Like, uh, of course, with with COVID, we see that you know that industry has shut down, but that industry, I think, will reemerge you know, into more better, more meaningful experiences, right? I think that's something that people are really looking forward to. I mean, I've recently been in the United States and uh, I've really seen like, you know, because people have uh, bounced back there, no? People are, you know, reconnecting with families or, uh, you know, people are, you know, not just looking to do touristy stuff, but more meaningful touristy stuff, right? So those opportunities, I think, uh, will be emerging. Although I am in a different business, of course, uh, it's it's an it's an industry I completely respect, and of course, your industry is something I respect, right? Food businesses, you know, these cloud kitchens, right? How do you make it more streamlined and accessible? Got that, got that. Mel, I'm going to close out this discussion right now. I'm sure there are a lot of questions still coming in, but thanks so much, Mel. Last tips just for the entrepreneurs listening here right now. I mean, if you were to summarize your five-year journey, uh, and you want to tell somebody, okay, if you're going to start off. I just want you to know this. Well, for me, it's like, I think uh, more than anything, the metrics that matter is not the funding. The metrics that matter is your customers, your ability to become sustainable, to be profitable, your sales, right? If you have no sales, you have no business, right? And um, your team, right? I think th- these things, uh, it, being able to keep them, uh, being able to maintain them, uh, 
will really make sure that in the long run you will survive. And you know, I mean, there is so much to be said about startups getting funding. Of course, we got funding, but there's also so much to be said about startups that survived, right? And I have so much respect for people that survived. To be honest, in in the pandemic, just to survive is is a miracle. It's a it's a gift. Agree, agree, right? super agree. Right, and you know, I think there's just so much to do. Uh, so much to value, right? You know, I want people's mindsets, hopefully, to not just be about the funding, but to be about being sustainable, right? And being good companies. Yeah. Again, thank you so much, Mel Nama of One Export. Before we let you go, if there are exporters out here who want to participate or and you or use the platform, please let them know where they can go. So just go and visit oneexport.com. Uh, you know, you can register as a supplier and, uh, you know, we will be happy to onboard you. We, we really uh, hope to be able to help you export in whatever way or form. It could be compliance documents or labels, or it can even be your first sale. Thank you so much for coming here to the show. This has been the RJ Ledesma Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it and invite more people to listen. I'll see you guys again next Thursday. Again, Mel, thank you so much. Mabuhay and one export. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Thank you. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.